I'm just going to let people know who don't, that you're Australian, that you um, studied at RISD, you've spent four years teaching at RISD, you got your PhD in your home continent of Australia, um, you are about to go for um, a residency for a year at Amherst College and another deep dive into a residency. And as I said, what I did, and I, I wanted to, um, everyone has to mute, please, or we're going to hear your household. Thank you. Um, there's so much to look at. There's so much to talk about in this book. And I feel like it has layers of uh, treasures. And I want to reveal a few. Um, but uh, I think we will weave in and out between the aesthetics and the encounter of what you have compiled and given to us, as well as ask you to reveal kind of what I talk about going to the Wizard of Oz and pulling back the curtain. It's like, okay, you've done something magical. Can you give us some sense of that process? So it's a balance between uh, both of those things. So I'm going to say one more thing and then turn it over to you. I love that you described the experience of making this book as growing a garden. I thought that was wonderful. Um, and I think it will honestly regenerate like a garden. Every time you look at it, you are going to have a different experience of it, kind of seasonally. Um, I also think it's very interesting that it, it, it was birthed as an idea when so many things came together, including the season. It was where you were physically. It was what season it was. It was what age your daughter was. It was where you were academically. And all of that came together and regenerated into a different form. And I think that's so exciting because you're basically taking apart what I call concept development. It's why I, I have my curriculum concept aware. It's taking those layers and being able to see where an idea becomes a concept, becomes a question, becomes an exploration, becomes an action. And then, I'm not gonna say it becomes a monster, but it certainly becomes <laughs> out of your hands, right? And it has a life of its own. It's a real birth process. So, um, take us through where you would like to. I'm going to um, just, you can be talking and I will hold up the book to show just a few pages and then we'll go over to the PDF. Okay, sure. Thank you for that really lovely and very generous introduction. And hello everyone, thank you for, for joining and being part of this. I, it really was a merging of things that came together that, that, that made this project kick off. And to provide, I guess, a little background to that, the first thing was I'd I'd moved, I'd just moved back to the United States in 2016, and I was living in Harry Callahan's former house on Benefit Street here in Providence. And his basement darkroom is mostly still intact, with the exception um, of an enlarger, and his crit walls along the hallways are still intact. Ah. And so I had a year to spend just enjoying this space of his. And I spent a lot of time at the RISD Museum that they hold and a fairly extensive collection of his prints. 
And so I spent a lot of time looking at uh, his work and in particular the pictures that he made of his daughter, Barbara, um, which I really enjoyed. And so that was, that was phase one, was being in this particular space. The second phase was I was about a year and a half into my PhD, so I was spending a lot of late nights. I would be teaching during the day and I would come home and do a lot of reading and writing. And I was rereading Camera Lucida, this time with a much more uh, critical eye and having read other people's texts as well, like Peg Olin um, and others who had written about Camera Lucida and especially those who had started to debate whether or not this winter garden picture that he refers to in Camera Lucida even exists. So I was reading it with a different kind of, of, of mentality and that was the second strand. And then the third strand was, yes, my daughter was six years old. We had a, a small communal garden out the back of um, Harry's former property and she would, it was winter, it was December, January, a lot of snow. And she was, you know, loving, loving the snow because we didn't get that where we were in Southern Australia for sure. So those three things, it was like a, a strange, academic, poetic Bermuda Triangle of things coming together. And I started looking more deeply into whether or not this Winter Garden photograph had appeared in a photography project somewhere. Um, I couldn't find one. Um, that sat outside of academic writing or outside of um, theory writing. Um, and I thought, well, maybe I, I did the math of when Camera Lucida came out um, and it would have been, this year it would have turned 40 or it does turn 40 years old since the day it was published. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe there's some worth in doing a project, but I knew very early on that it would have to be something that involved other people. I wouldn't have felt good about doing a project on my own about such a um, well-written, also very problematic text that has been used in so many different ways, in so many different schools, um, by so many different people. I, I, would, I would have felt very disingenuous about saying, hey, I'm going to do a project about this and it's going to be just me. Um, so I reached out to a few friends, literally a few, four or five, and said, hey, I'm thinking about a project. I'm not sure how it would look. Maybe we'll sub each submit a print. Maybe it will be a really small exhibition. Maybe we'll just go and take a photograph of what we think this Winter Garden picture was all about. And they said, oh, this sounds really good. And so I spent the next four or five months planning out something, not necessarily thinking it was going to be a big book, um, but just thinking about what would people be willing to participate in to try and reimagine or pay homage to or somehow experience something none of us has ever seen. We don't know for certain ever exists. There's no tangible proof or evidence as far as we're aware um, of what was in it apart from Bart's own words what would that look like? So that's really where, where it all began. I have to tell you that I look at that as an analogy to the Twilight series when you were the camp of the two different, the vampire or the other guy. So, <laughs> so in terms of, do you fall into the camp of it exists or it doesn't? That's such a great question. I can see, 
I can definitely relate to the arguments that have been put forward by people saying, well, it, was, it could have been a figment of Bart's imagination or it could have been a photograph that he remembered but that he didn't actually have or that he didn't actually see mm-hmm. or it could be a reinterpretation of a picture he once knew of or that was described to him verbally either by his mother or someone else. Mm-hmm. Every time I reread how he describes it, I flick between, oh, it was definitely an image. It was definitely a snapshot. And then the critical part of me says, well, maybe not. So I'm honestly not sure. I've, I've, read, I've read fairly recently, again, a piece where someone had decom- deconstructed photographs of Bart sitting in his office or in his work area. And you can see, in, you know, there's a couple of pictures where you can see what could plausibly be the winter garden picture, but no matter how much you zoom into it or extrapolate the, the little tiny pixels, it still doesn't actually show what Bart describes. So I think there's wonder in not knowing. I would prefer not to know. Yeah, well, it's truly a holy grail. We don't know. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, I'm holding up images. I'm not sure if that's helpful, but I think what I will do is, um, share uh, my desktop and go to this. So interesting, what you see and what I see are two different things, hold on. So are you seeing my screen? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Okay, hold on. It says you've started it. Oh, wait, one sec. Okay. No, you started, but nothing. Anything? No. 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 Okay, hold on. What Careful. are you seeing? What are you seeing? The black screen that says your started screen sharing. Yeah. yeah. And remember, I... we had that fiasco with the screen sharing. <laughs> Bring your shared window to the forefront. Okay, hold on one sec. It was okay. Now we see you. Now we see you see me. Hold on one sec. Let me try the share again. There we go. Yay. Yay. Thank you. Okay. So, um, as I said, Odette, I just want to go through a few pages and then maybe we can back up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm... I'm really pleased at the PDF that you shared with me. It was very, very difficult to go through and choose some images. I think I ended up with 30. (laughs) And then your um, compilation actually reflects mine well. Okay, I'm having one other technical issue, which is it's not letting me, oh, it did. Hmm. Okay, there we go. So I'm gonna go through a few pages Uh, And then we'll back up to the beginning and go slower. Um, Odette, if you could tell us from what happened when you did that first inquiry of a handful of friends to what happened. (laughs) Sure. So after I approached a few people and started to flesh out more of the detail of how this would look, Mm -hmm. I started reaching out to people more formally either by email or phone 
uh, or messenger and I asked them, I gave them a very specific prompt, a very loose prompt, enough to be able to be interpreted in a variety of ways. Um, but a prompt that would allow for, uh, you know, plenty of scope for interpretation. Um, so the prompt was this. The main criteria for the photograph you contribute is that it echoes, suggests, or reflects Roland Barthes' winter garden photograph. It can be an image you have made or a snapshot of yours. It can be a found photo. It can be color or black and white. It can be made with an alternative process. It can be a contact print, a test print, or a Polaroid. So with that prompt, um, I started inviting people to contribute a, pr a print, so a physical object. Um, and in some cases, it really was an object. I, you know, I have their folk who contributed to the project. There's a, a beautiful piece of jewellery that Alison Nordstrom contributed with a photograph inset inside a gold yeah. heart. Mm. Um, Heather Wetzel contributed a beautiful half ruby amber type. Um, so there are things that are much more object-based than they are print-based, but nonetheless, everyone had to provide a something. And I didn't have a set criteria for who I invited. It was sometimes people I knew, mostly people I didn't know or didn't know terribly well, and only that I wanted it to be geographically diverse, diverse in every way, um, and geographically diverse especially. I didn't want this to be a project of just one country or just one continent uh, or just one process or just one thought about what a photograph is and how it should be. And what was lovely, within a couple of months, I had 50 people already. Very few people said no. People were generally, you know, excited, enthused, happy to be part of it. And people were very generous with suggesting people. I, I, I got an email from Drew Donovan, who I now know reasonably well, and, and she said, here's 20 people that you need to contact. And, and I'm sure they'll all say yes. And, and I think they all did. <laughs> people, were, people were very generous about suggesting others who either were friends of theirs, but who they knew would there would be a meaningful interaction um, and participatory element to them being part of this. You know, some people wrote saying, hey, I can't think of anyone more suited to this project than this person. And then I would reach out to those people. So within six months, I had, you know, almost 200 people. And I thought at some point, I probably had to stop asking because this book was going to end up in a volume one, volume two scenario. Mm. Um, and I kept... I kept thinking, I, I really must cut this off. And so that it was sheer volume that made me stop. And of course, retrospectively, I look back and go, oh, why, did, why didn't I think of that person and that person and that person? So maybe that does become a volume two in 40 years, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking uh, it was a wonderful compilation. And uh, here's going into some of the decision-making. Um, some people are in it more than once. Um, and your, your, well, I guess I want to back up. It, there are so many layers to the decisions that I can see that you made. Um, and I'm thinking that you didn't make them, uh, all on your own. So how much of the book 
became your sensibility, how, who were the other people you were um, collaborating with. And um, just to give a sense that um, I encourage everyone to go to your website if they haven't, but your own work is very driven by a tactile sense, a textural sense. Um, you love happenstance. And um, it, I think you're very uh, tied to the materiality. And I keep doing this. <laughs> the, the hand, I mean, I worked in fabric and we call it the hand. You have the, the um, I don't know whether to call it the craft, the materiality, the sculpturalness, the, uh, the toothsomeness, right, of paper. Um, and so you take your own sensibility and, and then have to put it into a different art form in terms of it getting in bound and, and all of a sudden the, uh, the editing and the sequencing take on a whole other meaning. Um, and I'll just, I don't know if you'll see, but you obviously you chose this beautiful paper and then you chose the inserts at a different size and a lighter paper, and you use that paper both for image and text, and it's a little creamier. And your text is not black. I don't find any black in here, and I'm assuming that's intentional. There are interspersed pages numbered and not numbered. There are not credits where the photograph happens. All those are purposeful choices. And when I'm teaching concept development, I'm trying to highlight all those places where you can take a right or a left. And if you do, you're layering your concept. So yeah. you, this is so, so thoughtful. And I also know it must have been incredibly challenging. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes. I was, I was very aware from the get-go that I would be holding in my temporary living space or custody is not the right word, but I, I would be looking after and caretaking mm -hmm. the work of however many people were involved in this. And so I didn't, I didn't realize how at from right at the start, I didn't realize how intimidating that would be. Mm -hmm. And it really was mm -hmm. uh, at the same time I felt, though I was acting as an editor and a curator, manager, whatever terminology for this project, mm -hmm. that I had a responsibility to honour the wishes and preferences of all 200 plus people. And that was wonderfully challenging. And I say wonderful because it it made design decisions also very challenging. And I love to troubleshoot issues and when things don't align but I didn't want to make I, I if an artist or if anyone participating had a particular request it was really important that that was prevalent and present and honored as as requested so for those people you know there were some people who said I, I really really have to have this little piece of text right next to my image or right underneath it. Mm -hmm. And so there were things like that that had to be included, but in a way where it would match then the rest of the book. And there were, for every one like that, there were probably 40 or 50 different little things that I was having to align 
And that's, there were two things that took the longest time in, in, in making the book. The, the first one was just keeping in touch with 200 plus people and getting, you know, all the logistical things about getting digital copies of images, um, but also, and then having prints sent and then archiving those prints and then having to be back in touch about captions or text. So that was one part. But by far the biggest amount of time was spent sequencing and editing and laying out and sorting the book as an object itself. And for any of you who have worked on any similar project, you will know that you don't do that in a silo. And if you do, <laughs> I, I, amazing, like good for you, because I absolutely couldn't. So I worked with an incredible designer, Cara Buzzle, who's based here in Providence. And she and I basically lived in each other's pockets for the better part of two years. Uh, working through this and we had significant input uh, at the start in terms of sequencing from three wonderful RISD students, uh, Travis, Jacina and Kevi. And it was our collaborative energy and enthusiasm and passion um, that really brought how it looks together and us fussing over little things that were seemingly little but make a very big difference in any book project like where should those page numbers be and how big should that font be and what happens if we use black and in terms of a text colour and what happens when this image sits next to this image and is followed by the next image and what happens when an artist says I need to have two images and here's the reason why and I need to have this third image but it needs to be further into the book so it's not so obvious. And every single week there would be something like this that would have us revisit the layout. And so the layout, I thought we were good at around six or, you know, draft six or seven, and it got to draft 30 or 35. Oh, we, was, we were still working through it. But that's because I didn't, I just didn't want to be that person saying, no, it's going to be like this. This is a book for the people who contributed to it. It is a book in honour of someone that, you know, none of us will ever get to meet. It is a book that doesn't, I, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm like pulling it all together, but I don't, and my name is weirdly on the spine, but doesn't feel like it's, it's mine. I feel like it, it really belongs to those people. That's so wonderful and so generous and actually weaves through what, um, what I think I learned um, about your own practice again is that um, you're, uh, you're interested in authenticity and, uh, uh, you know, the premise of this book somehow echoes many things that you had already brought as your, uh, core exploration, like for your body of work over time. And so, um, there's just so much echoing and synergy. Uh, it's, it's really interesting to see um the depth at which you were able to take this explore and your expansiveness to uh the openness of the process to be able to say i am with you we are all in this um there is no one way of looking or seeing um and then being such a um uh, a responsible curator oh. but uh -huh. Uh, thank you for thank you for telling us about the collaborative nature and I'm thinking I pulled up this piece because this happened to be one of my favorites 
and I had earmarked it if it weren't in your PDF, but it is. So this is a good place to start with how you decided two different papers. And is this an explanation of, uh, or an example of someone who said, please put my text with this triptych? Um, so could you give us a little bit about sure. that? So for that, that particular piece, the, the, the which is Byron Wolf's, yep, the, the text is actually on the print uh -huh. and the, the print is a single print. It's almost, it's almost 32 inches long. So it's quite long and quite lean. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't Byron's request for it to be separated as it is on the page there with the triptych, the third part of the triptych going onto the creamier coloured paper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But going to the paper itself, so most of the book is printed on a, a beautiful, heavier, off-white stock. And then this is why it had to be hand-bound and took such a long time from the time it was printed in Germany, which was over Thanksgiving last year then was sent to Switzerland to be handbound. is that woven throughout the book are these shorter, smaller pieces of paper that are almost bordering on the colour of like pale butter. Mm -hmm. They're very thin. It's about 50, GS, 50 or 60 GSM, I think. Um, it's very light and the images show through so you can see what's a shadow of what's coming and that was part of the, the thinking behind having this this shorter thinner paper is that when you read Camera Lucida there's a sense of what you think is coming and a shadow that overhangs the entire book itself you know the shadow of Bart grieving his mother that he lived with his entire life that he mourned deeply until the day he died. And so there's always this shadow that I imagine Bart having of Henriette standing behind him. Mm. And we wanted that shadow to be somehow present in the work, but also so it would become a layering exercise that no one photograph stood alone and that there was always something before it and behind it. As with any good story, there's something before it and, and, and ahead of it. And so we wanted that somehow to also be visually present. And so the use of this paper allowed you to see the shadows of, of images to come mm -hmm. and the shadows or text of images that were, were left behind. And Byron's, this was the designer, Cara, actually came out with, come up with this spread where it was like that third little part of the triptych and the text just was so perfectly positioned so that when you also turn that particular page, mm -hmm. Um, it goes to the next image, which also has a very similar colour and tone. Um, and it just felt so... There were layouts like that where it was just such a perfect match and you thought, oh... And you were so excited when you found them because we'd be in angst for days going, how is this page going to fit with that page? And then when you found it, you were just, we were, it was just time for celebration. And oh, yeah, this is such a natural following. And actually, this was another compilation that I photographed because it's... It's so beautiful. They really have a similar uh, feel. And you're making me think of um, something that uh, I have as a reading in my class, which is Teju Cole's No Photo Stands Alone. It is an article that he wrote when he was uh, the, um, writing the On Photography for the New York Times Magazine. Yes. Um, 
And that's so interesting to think about that both you never come to a photograph the same way because of your own experience. And then the photograph stands both within your own memory experience and then uh, the history of when it was taken. Um, And it's so interesting because um, I've known some photographers to be controlling and the fact is that there is no controlling the impact, right? Or the punctum, which is at the core of uh, what um, Bart gave us to chew on, is this idea of the emotional impact. Of right. Um, right. And, and uh, you know, the way that this book is going to be viewed and interpreted from here on is also going to change. And, you know, I, so far, I touched the table. <laughs> that, that so far people for as far as i'm aware have been mostly happy with the way it's been laid out or surprised you know delightfully surprised by you know the pairings or that ordinarily you wouldn't put this image with that image or mm-hmm. the order or the structure reveals something very unexpected um like i would the, the image the example you're showing on screen there i would never have put those two together and it was in this this frantic you can imagine a room you know a very small room with five of us in it breathing heavy for four days <laughs> at any given time, putting hundreds and hundreds of, of five by seven prints on the wall and moving them around mm-hmm. sort of loosely tacked. And it was, I forget who it was who put these two together and it was just blissful. Like, of course they, they, they just work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's that sense of like, ta-da. Right. And then yeah. end check, right. Oh, they've got their pairing move on. Yeah. But what's interesting is in curating a show and hanging it, um, you can have an idea that get down to it and then you can change it and this whole idea of the rhythm. And you're making me think um, of that Russell Crowe image in A Beautiful Mind where there's a million post-it notes. And sometimes you think of a certain order and when you're collaborating, someone says, oh, well, look, what if we change this? And, And you can you can start to agree on when you are hitting the grace notes and right. you get better and better at that. And it's a practice and process. And um, right. I love that it's a tear your hair out, but wonderful part of the <laughs> process. This is also a really good example of a layout where it speaks to the way in which we wanted the book to look because it would have been very easy to do this as an anthology where the book had the text written next to it so you had an image and then you had you know who it was by and the year it was taken and the kind of print it is and maybe the gallery that represents them if they have gallery representation and all these other kind of factual clinical details that go with the print Mm -hmm. but I felt very strongly that it should be a photo book I mean Bart's book and that it should be the images should for the most part be without text because camera lucida is full of text mm-hmm. with very few pictures and those pictures that are there are, you know are smaller than they are larger and i wanted this not necessarily to be a story or to be linear or not even to be non-linear but for each image to have its own um space and eloquence and elegance um and existence in the book form mm-hmm. but also that it wasn't then weighed down or tied to a 
a more factual description mm -hmm. so that it could be interpreted much more loosely, either with or without its near and dear friend, if, if it's on a page with other images, that it could just be enjoyed for the thing that we, those of us who read Camera Lucida and think about the Winter Garden photograph, that as Bart speaks those words or as we read them, that we... We, our mind wanders and we enter this space thinking about, well, was it a big snapshot or small? Did it have curled edges? Were there brown spots on it? How far was Henriette standing from, you know, the person who made the picture and did the person who made the picture instruct them? And so I wanted that kind of thinking and that kind of questioning to be present. And that is why it exists in my mind somewhere that's not quite an anthology, it's not quite a photo book, and it's not quite a, a, a visual poetic and it's not quite something else. It, 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 it spreads and spans elements of all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, but it also has its own, it creates its own, one hopes, its own wondrous space for imagination and reinterpretation and, um, you know, for mistakes to be made in how it's read. Like I would love for people to read it and go, this is what I think this image is about. No, absolutely not. But we'll never know. For the most part, the text isn't there to support it or to hang it or to, to pin it to, to specificity. Well, that's, you have really given the room for your viewer to roll around in their own imagination. So you're actually uh, encouraging the experience that happens as you read Bart and try to picture, you know, going back, no pun intended, that he's talking about a photograph. Um, so you've given this space without um, any of the layers that we could bring assumption, uh, assumption from the year it was made, the gender of the person, or even the title, which is potentially pushing you into a, a particular place. Um, one thing that I'd love to talk about, and I, I love uh, I don't have it right here in the book, but the image that's up right now, how you give all that space to that photograph that is not so large. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's such a portal. I, I just think there is portal after portal after portal, and I think that's why it's so magical. Um, one thing I would love to discuss, and I don't have um, a, a visual on that in terms of the PDF, is the um, the inserts of the mm -hmm. text, and I'm just going to hold up this one. Um, I have to say that Lucy Gallum's is a breathtaking, breathtaking piece of writing. Um, and I'll just read this one part if you can't see it. One of the quotes from this text is, is it's the quote that says, a sort of umbilical cord links the body of the photographed thing to my gaze. And if you could give us a sense of um, that particular part of your process, um, sounds to me, I'm not sure, that you also gave that type of open-ended prompt to a wordsmith to, to respond, and this is what happened, I'm not sure. And they're so vastly different in terms of your people that you asked and what they're doing with it. And uh, that it, 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 it literally is almost something where I feel, um, I'm so glad I had days. It, the day I left my studio, which was three weeks ago, I pulled this book because <laughs> I knew I would have the time. And it's been something I've been able to, um, 
digest in pieces and it's it's really interesting so can you tell us about the people that wrote and how that happened sure so there are three essays in the book and the essays are function in the book like little inserts because they are printed on that uh, very thin mm -hmm. creamy colored paper mm -hmm. and they're not exactly spaced the same mm -hmm. throughout the book they are very intentionally ordered so the very first essay by doug nickel who teaches at brown university he was the assistant curator of, um, of photography at sf moma for 10 years uh, some time ago now and he's written extensively about snapshots so that was one of the reasons that i asked him he's also researched a great deal about bart mm -hmm. and if he were here, I would say he's probably one of the of Bart's biggest skeptics and 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 uh, cri critics, and so I wanted there to be someone also writing who had not only that experience of of a historical perspective, uh, a photographic perspective, uh, someone who's a beautiful writer, but someone who could be critical of Bart's mm -hmm. text mm -hmm. and try and position uh, where Camera Lucida sits. Uh, not only in the canon of writings about photography, but in Bart's own writing uh, history and background. And so his was became the first essay because he he started the essay with this beautiful quote, which is, what is there left to say about Cabra Lucida? <laughs> um, and I thought that was such a lovely opener. And one of the editors, I had uh, several proofreaders go over this book, and one of them, Jennifer Lees, said you really need this to be the first essay um, and so that's how that came to be the first one where Doug talks about challenging Camera Lucida as being this overly romanticized mm. text that should be read in conjunction with his other writings because Camera Lucida as we understand it was never meant to be a standalone piece as it was published um, and so that became the first essay I reached out to Sarah Meister at the MoMA to participate in the project and to write an essay. And Sarah said, well, I'd love to participate. And, you know, I will happily do that. But the person who really needs to write this essay is my colleague, Lucy Gallen. And so Lucy and I had a phone conversation and it was traumatic and upsetting. And I got off that call crying, thinking, I, I'm not even sure that... Lucy was happy to write the essay and she explained the, the story about um, losing her unborn child it was her first child and it was such a a difficult beautiful uh heart literally heart-wrenching story i thought i'm not even sure i can ask that this becomes part of this book and she was so generous and and thoughtful and revelatory in her words that she wrote um and so that became the second essay uh, which is, you know, maybe a third of the way through the book. And then the third essay by Philip Proger, who I'd known his work. Um, I lived in London for just over 10 years. Um, and he was the, um, the head of the National Portrait Gallery for a long time. Um, he's now based at Yale. Mm -hmm. And he too had written about Bart. He's a beautiful writer and he somewhere sits between Doug's and Lucy's. It, it's personal, but it's also critical. Mm -hmm. It's revelatory, um, but it, 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 there's much more description in there. 
and that became the third essay. And so they were people that I didn't start off the project saying, these are the three people who are going to write this essays. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't even sure at that point I was going to have essays, but I, I liked the idea of there being some textual component without pictures mm. and a textual component that were three very different ways of, of thinking about Camera Lucida, the Winter Garden photograph. Three people who have very different backgrounds um, and there I was very loose about the requirements other than it being, you know, 1500 to 2000 words and, you know, a deadline and, and that kind of thing. Um, and they're, they're very different and very beautiful. I, I really couldn't be luckier that they all were willing to participate in something that at that point was such a remote idea. Um, it's yeah. so interesting because they actually are ballast in a way that is fascinating. You know, you could not have predicted it or actually um, no. constructed it or crafted it. It was right. literally finding the right uh, voice and then just letting that happen. And it really wove so beautifully. Um, I'd love to also look at or speak of the people who um, sent you text rather than a photograph. And we have a couple of examples of that. And I love um, Nicholas Mulliner wrote such a hilarious piece. And this is again how I love the, I call them grace notes, but you know, one minute you could cry and the next minute you're really chuckling. And it's such a lovely uh, compilation of, of um, so much personality came through in people's uh, writing. And he wrote how, even though you reminded him and he said he was going to do it all this time passed and he just could not make himself make an image. Everything felt contrite. Like, yeah. what am I going to take an old one or I'm going to take a new one or how am I going to do this? And then he finally said enough and I'm not doing it. And here's the <laughs> words. And I'm just going to quote the very end. And he goes, I tried, but he, he said, tried, but can't for reasons of sentiment, selfhood and stubbornness. And I love that that's in there. Yeah, I, well, that wasn't that. Uh, it, this is a like a reveal. So, <laughs> Nicholas, who's a beautiful writer, and I've admired his writing for a long time. Um, yes, he'd, he'd agreed to participate in the project, and he was also moving house, I might add, in the middle of all of this. So, he had a lot going on. And he sent me that as an email saying, Listen, I would love to be part of this, but I just can't do it. Here's the reasons why. And it was such a beautiful email. I wrote him back straight away saying, Nicholas, listen, <laughs> if you'd be You're willing, in. I would really love to include your letter to me um, in it. Uh, and it's toward the end of the book. It's not the last thing I didn't, it was too obvious to include it as, as the last thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, and he very kindly said, oh, well, sure, that would <laughs> be fine. And so I did. I, and there were one or two others who only wanted to provide text originally. I didn't want that. Um, but it, as I think with any book project or certainly at least with mine, I, it felt right and good 
to honour those requests. And I should say, you know, a few people have asked, well, you know, did you include every single image that you mm. were given? Didn't you edit some out? Didn't you ask for alternatives? Didn't you, you know, weren't there more people who participated but you didn't, you know, the work didn't fit? And I said, absolutely not. That's why it took so long in the editing process because every single piece was included. I did not go, well, this doesn't fit or this isn't right or this. There was none of that. Yeah. everything went in and so when you do that of course then it becomes this massive challenge of going oh no now I have to order and structure and 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 do this with images that perhaps I'm I'm not even sure how this is going to look and we got to a you know a final pile of maybe 15 or 20 going oh and then you'd find a place for it and it would <laughs> it would have a knock-on effect for something else and so you'd have to start again um but again it, it, you know it's I, I have no right ability. I have, there should be no reason that I say, hey, this doesn't fit, this can't be included because mm -hmm. the whole sensibility of the Winter Garden picture is that it meant everything to Bart and in his opinion would mean nothing to anyone else. So if I was going to ask 200 plus people to participate with an image that was important to them, then by golly, it had to be in this book and had to be honoured as a treasured something. And it was bringing all of those somethings together in some kind of meaningful way. And I, you know, there's probably a hundred, more than a hundred uh, innumerable ways in which this could have come together. This mm -hmm. is the very best that we could, we could do, you know. It'd be really fun, actually a great assignment to pull out 30 images and try to do a different sequence with them, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and you were making me think, uh, Lyle Rexler wrote, and he referred to an image. And I thought this was so fascinating because you don't know, it's kind of um, a secret within a secret or a mirror of a mirror. Is that fiction that he's writing in reference to an image or not? And we don't need to know the answer, but I love that that happened so how did that happen so i asked again i asked lyle to participate and you know i've known lyle for a little while and and he said yeah I, i'd love to and the, the problem was he had to find the photograph so he knew he could write about he could write this piece but he had to find the picture and i think it took him maybe 18 months to actually find the original artifact you know he didn't have a scan of it um, mm -hmm. so he, he had to we, we we had to wait and wait and wait um, um, and then when he found it, it was, he was so happy and so joyous. Um, and so that, that's how we, we weren't even sure whether or not it was going to be that picture or different text or, or it wasn't going to be there at all. Um, wow. But he, he felt very, he felt very strongly that it was this one picture. And there are a few other people like that who said, I have to find you this one picture and it might take me a while. And in some cases it was up to 18 months of people searching through boxes or in basements or attics or whatever, looking for this one thing. That's um, so interesting. I'm thinking about yeah. that because that's, that's a, um, an experience and a frame that not everyone has, uh, depending on your age. And um, it makes me think again, too, of another book, Sally Mann's on hold or hold still rather, where she talks about um, the influence of a photograph on your memory. And sometimes it's like, was I there or was it because I saw a picture of being there? Uh, 
I thought that was really, really interesting. And then his essay, it's not really an essay, but his excerpt weaving back uh, a time frame and a relationship and mm. then later going, you know, from where you are now, re-entering it. So it was very, very interesting that way. Um, I've stopped on this cover and uh, this particular compilation. Okay, I don't know how you pick a cover and I don't know how you pick <laughs> What yeah. happened there? So I can't take credit for, for that either. The cover we had, Cara has a, a lovely friend and mentor, Ernesto, who teaches part-time at RISD and has done for many a year. He's a graphic designer who met Roland Barthes in, in <gasps> Paris back in the day. And so Ernesto was the one to suggest this is the cover. And I wasn't present at the meeting when they were talking about this, but when Cara told me afterward, and she talked about this idea of when you have a feeling that comes from your gut, I don't know, and it, and it sits in your throat, and it's like the minute before you cry, mm. Or that that thing that's it's like a lump but not quite and it's a it's physical but it's also emotional and it sits right there and, it, and until it passes or until something happens or, or you move on it's just it's there mm. and so and, and Cara was describing this and I thought yes that's what you know that's what I think about when you know when I'm reading Lucy's essay I'm on the cusp of crying or I look at an image and I'm and I'm not sure what words are going to come out for me to describe this um the photograph was also perfect as a cover because you can't necessarily tell you know age gender it's it's such a a seemingly simple image but so complex in what it says and then what it doesn't say and what it suggests and it felt like even though it wasn't you know contributed by bill um, as being all the things that I'm now ladening on top of it. Mm -hmm. But it felt like just the right thing to talk about this person, Roland Barthes, who had this relationship with his mother, who wrote this book somewhat unintentionally, who had a relationship with this photograph that may or may not have existed. And so it's all that may and may not and, and physicality and, um, and and the emotional aspects and it all sitting in the in the tense um place from where we feel and where we talk and where we consume it was like oh you know there we go that that's why it's, that, that that's it you know that's it. well it's so funny because one of the things i've done is ask many people their description or their definition of punctum and you have actually um, a described it just now in terms of what one aspect of punctum is is that that catch um, and it is visceral um, uh, but by choosing this photograph or by being able to um, impart uh, a search of your own for something tangible that represents something intangible this is it. It's, it is like a visualization of punctum. Um, and I can't help but think now that you have described that because I wasn't thinking of it, but of um, chakras. And I'm not uh, an expert on that. But obviously, this is a place uh, where you've got to go from your heart to your head. Mm -hmm. It has to do with your voice. 
So that's also, if you had to uh, give an anatomy of punctum, it's that, right? That circle. Um, And yeah, it's just, that's so interesting. Um, I wanted to do um, one other thing. I wanted to ask you to describe something that I had read Um, And then I want to open it up and see if some people can jump in. Uh, So, and I haven't done a very good job of moving um, these (laughs) images. If there's one that you want to reflect on, please let me know. Um, So what you said, and I don't remember where you said this, it might be in the book or somewhere else, but you said, photography is so slippery and so full of holes and gaps. And I loved that. So say more. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I think about this a lot with my own practice because I think to a certain extent we we like to think of, of photographs of being definitive and whole and of the world and that their edges are somewhat solidified and there's a certain amount of specificity that's that's contained and we talk about what a photograph contains. Mm-hmm. And I think my challenge always from photography and bear in mind, I came from a painting background. So I was always thinking about the material of a photograph before I was thinking about the history of photography and what photography um, does um, that's, that's different to perhaps other visual mediums is that a, a photograph for me is the start of a process. It's never the end of a process. Mm. It's always the beginning of a question or the beginning of a conversation or the beginning of a challenge. They, they just, they, they leak and they're oozy and they're so, there's so much more potential that a photographs hold. It, it's never the period at the end of the sentence, if I use the analogy of language. Mm. Um, it's always something else. And I, any, any attempt, I think, to try and pin them down is in my, at least in my opinion, somewhat futile because of their inability to be read in a single way um the things that we crop out you know a photograph is always a crop and even when it's made with the best of intent it's coming from the world or from imagination or whatever it is that we're we're taking from something a a a smaller part and not the whole Um, and maybe because i've been homeschooling my children and thinking about fractions a lot i started thinking about it, it is a fraction of something else but it's a fraction of something else that is always incomplete Mm -hmm. Um, that's always changed from the moment of the the denominator or the numerator being moved around. And I I love the idea of the the photograph existing in that way. And we, we viewers, artists, makers, thinkers, writers, viewers have to reconcile some of that and, Mm -hmm. and, and and not necessarily be content with it, but perhaps be aware of it. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting if you think about that, the, um, we, um, there's a, a particular part of our nature that doesn't like incompleteness, that likes black and white, which is why I love that it's all shades of gray in the book, because really the oozy, the life is in the middle, it's in the gray zone. And, right. and uh, if we're not right now in the middle of something that is letting us know uh, our illusions, uh, an illusion we have is that there's somehow anything complete or anything stationary. Right. Um, you know, I, I grew up with a mother who used to say, the only constant in life is change. And uh, I kind of crack up that we can live to all different lengths of 
years, but we fight that all the time. Right. <laughs> it's, right. it's different and yeah. it's not. Um, I think that's so interesting uh, to unfold. So I would love to open up to um, other people about any particular questions. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, I was, I, I, okay, I'm gonna take over and say I have a couple more just before I let it go um, out there. One is that um, another person uh, wrote and I loved what she was saying because it's a way of thinking about photographs that, that I do often, but I love that she concretized it so well. So it's Karen Irvine and mm -hmm. she wrote about a non-image. And the way she described it is she said, it is the most beautiful image I ever heard. It is the most beautiful sound I've ever seen. And I loved that. Um, yeah. you, have, you have so many precious moments here. Um, they're precious because they're kind of like your cover. They're that lump or that fleeting piece, um, but they're not um, sentimental and they're not, overly sweet they're they're so real um and maybe i'll hold this question like you don't have to answer this or maybe you can while we get other questions out there i am not reading the chat if you've put a question there um and how we go through questions is we you take yourself off mic and ask it um but here's my question um and that is how you end uh the book and and when i'm helping people sequence or when i'm putting together a show, I often talk about bookends and you want to come in strong and you want to end strong. Um, and so there's a lot of thought about the container that you're making to hold the experience and the different images. So you ended with Larry Fink and an Eric Kessels. I can, I can show that. And I'm just curious how, if there was, thought behind both because they come after a lot of information. You finally see the compilation of all the people in the book and what page is the artist on. And then there's this one image and I love that it, you know, you're off centering so many places and leaving the, uh, the borders both above or below or the left or the right is something I really love and is thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And then the last image in the book. Mm -hmm. So Larry Fink's image, which is the one of taken on his farm where it's winter and there's lots of snow on the ground and there's a beautiful big tree. We really liked the fact that it was, to some extent, it might be what you expect to see at the end of a very long book, mm -hmm. is that this, this path going off into the distance, it is winter, it's a garden of sorts. Um, it's mm. a black and white image, but it, the, you know, there's a little shrub in the, in the center part, which kind of stops it mm -hmm. um, from being an accessible path. And so that's what we, I, I was more fixated with that, that little bush being there and, it, and mm. the path being a choice of, do I go left of that bush or right of that bush? Uh, um, and also, you know, I didn't think about this till you said it. Uh, duh, it's a winter garden. <laughs> I didn't even... Yeah, so that was, it was, it was that, but then the, we wanted, I didn't want that to be the final image and it was Cara who suggested Eric Kessel's um, little contribution of a, of a snapshot of being uh, an interpretation of what 
the winter garden photograph could have looked like. Of course, it's not because it, it defies the description of what Bart writes in Camera Lucida. But it, it is a young girl and standing in what appears to be a winter garden. It's a very old snapshot. It's, it's well and truly sort of buckled and handled. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, you know, yeah. also the, the, the figure is wearing shorts and a T-shirt. So it's probably not all that cold. Mm -hmm. um, but nonetheless, it was, it was something about the treasuring of an object Mm -hmm. and that as far as I'm aware and I don't know this for sure as far as I'm aware it's a found photograph of Eric's mm -hmm. um, but I purposely didn't ask because I didn't want to know if it was something that was super precious that he's been hanging on to for years or whether it was a found picture that he was happy to be rid of mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but I liked the idea of, of following that path and making this choice between left or right of a bush and then perhaps on the other side of those bushes is, is a representation of a girl who is, you know, doesn't look to be, you know, five years old, but somehow encapsulates some of what the winter garden photograph, if it existed, what, what it might look like or tend toward as a, as an image. And also, I think for me, it was thinking about, um, uh, kind of a universal uh, experience of thinking of our parents and our parents before they were parents. Uh, so thinking about how do we know them, which we never will, when they didn't know us, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that very deep place you could go to to uh, reimagine or spend time uh, thinking about this incredibly important person in your life who had a life before you shared your lives. And uh, I love that that's uh, as patinaed as it is and also that it's been through, uh, you know, folded and unfolded and uh, yeah, just like a life. Um, right. yeah. So I think let's, let's let people unmute. Um, there, I don't want everyone to ask at once and it'll all come out gibberish if it is. And I know there's a way to raise hands, but. Deb, do you think there's ways to get people in one by one? I'm going to take a quick look. I don't, don't you, see it here. If everyone clicks participants, the list of everyone goes in the right column, and then raise hand is there, and a little blue hand will pop up. Okay. Yes, I see you that. Can call on them. See there, I just raised my hand. Laura raised her hand. Yes. I'm yes. glad you see it because I don't, but go ahead. You have to click participants. That's okay. Deb's got Otherwise it. Otherwise you won't see everybody. Mm -hmm. I see it. Okay. So Deb, you'll, um, will you go to the raised hands? Yeah. Great. So where did we go now? Where? I see one. So I'm wondering. Oh, here's a, let's just see. Oh, okay. Uh, Hannah, would you like to ask your question? Um, okay. Um, Hello. I, Hello. I, I, I'm so much better at writing than talking. <laughs> so that we've had a few contacts recently. Yeah. I love your book. And thank you. Um, my comment slash question was regarding the time that it 
has been released in. And for me, um, I got it right when the lockdown was starting, got it in the mail and carelessly handled it and opened it because I was too excited to wait. <laughs> um, but it, I'm, I'm always going to link it to this time. And it's been a real comfort object to me in this time. And I feel like I've barely scratched the surface with it, even though I've spent a lot of time with it. And I, I guess I just wondered if you wanted to talk about that a little bit, because I think this is an important book and I think it will be thought of as an important book for a long time. And I think it will be kind of for people who are getting it right now, really linked to being locked in your house during a pandemic. So that's all. Yeah. Well, if it's, uh, thank you. Um, if it's, if it's in any way an extraordinary book, it's because there's 200 extraordinary people involved in it. I can actually see some folks um, who were involved in the book who are right here listening. And it's, it's strange having a, a peer at this time in, on the one hand, because I feel like anything that comes across our desks or into our lives through our mail slots or, or wherever right now, we're going to remember it in such a polarised and very different way that had it, had it not come at this time. I think, you know, we always attach things that happen to us, uh, especially when, you know, there's change and the way we're living is so dynamic and so um, tragic or traumatic. And, you know, on the one hand, when there were, there were so many events and, and talks and, and, and book signings and all these things that were, that were going to happen and that have just, you know, um, disappeared. But at the same time, it's connected me with people either who have purchased the book or are involved in the book or, um, have just wanted to have a conversation about it in ways that I couldn't have imagined or predicted. Mm -hmm. um, and a few people have written saying, listen, just thank you for making this, even though it wasn't planned to be uh, read or understood or thought of in the time frame it is, that it's, it's been something of a source of pleasure, comfort, satisfaction, whatever it might be. But I feel like we could say that about anything, you know, that particularly touches us right now. There'll be things that we're going to hang on to in a very different way, simply by virtue of the circumstance we we find ourselves living in. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Deb, would you unmute another question? Um, we don't, I don't see any hands at the moment. Okay. I'm um, going to, Suzanne, I'm going to unmute you because you're on my screen. Suzanne. Um, oh, did you have a question? Hang on. You have to, you have to unmute here. Okay. Did you have a question? No, I didn't raise my hand. I wrote about the book this morning and I've, I've been kind of delving into it. And the one thing that sort of struck me and you, you addressed a little bit, um, you know, the design of the book, I feel like it's a big, heavy tome on a certain level. But when you sort of spend time, as I was kind of looking through it and then reading the writing in it, I realized it feels very light. You know, it feels like a very sort of lightweight journey as I'm going through it. It doesn't feel like, um, 
you know, it's hitting me over the head. And I sort of realized there's this use of white in the layout that I think makes, even though it's a big, like it's a, this is a big, heavy book. <laughs> yes, it is. Right on my, my, my virtual background. Um, but it doesn't quite feel, you know, I have other big, heavy books that, um, I think they can be somewhat burdensome, <laughs> if that makes sense. And, and this one doesn't, even though it's, you know, there's sort of this dichotomy going on. Um, so anyway, it's, it's a wonderful book. I'm really glad to be able to kind of enjoy it while we're stuck at home, you know. Oh, thank so, you. Uh, that's why I just decided I'll, okay, I'm going to write about it because I'm kind of digging into it, you know. Great. So I, I did discover the microphone, so I'm going to unmute. And I'm sorry <laughs> to put you on the spot because it just, yours beeped, but here we go. I'm going to unmute. Looks like Karen has a question. Correct. Karen? Hi there. Yay. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just curious um, if you found any difficulties that you encountered working in such a large collaboration, um, or did you really find it more of a, a beautiful process on the whole? That's a great question. Thank you. It was both of those things. It was, <laughs> it was lovely for the collaborative um, element. I got to know people that I didn't know well who have now become very dear and wonderful friends. And I got to hear people were very generous with their thoughts and ideas. And some people would write saying, hey, I can't choose between this image and that image. And I'd be mortified at the idea that I had to make a choice. I'd be like, oh, I can't decide. I'll just give it back to you. Um, so it, it was lovely for getting to know people, understanding people's work very differently because, you know, for some of the artists you and contributors, you'll look at the image and perhaps there'll be people say, oh, that looks like a kind of image I would expect that person to make for whatever reason. And then there are others where you think, wow, that so doesn't, I'm so surprised and, and I'm, or amazed. Um, and so I got to know a lot of these people very well and people would write, I have a binder of, of handwritten notes from just about everyone or, or emails, correspondence, two or three years worth of correspondence that's wonderful. And a lot of it is handwritten, which I also find really interesting mm. um, that people went to the care and, and the trouble to do that. Um, it was the, the biggest challenge came in, in having, I have enormous patience, so that, that, that was incredibly helpful because you really had to have it. Um, you know, I, I was doing this project over a period of time for a good reason because in the lives of 200 plus people, there's so much going on. You know, people have jobs and, and children and travel and people had deaths in their family and so they would write saying, listen, I need more time because my mother, father, cousin, auntie has passed away and that became a whole nother conversation and then people would change their image. And again, it was... I, I'm, I just, I love hanging out with people. And I love getting to know people through a mechanism by contributing something for a picture that none of us have seen or know exists. And so it was a way of getting to know people very differently that I would not have done otherwise. And I didn't care at that point. I didn't really care how long it took. I, I cared much more about just spending time with these people, mostly but the same way that we're doing now through some kind of screen interface or over the phone. And a few people I, you know, I met with in person. And my only great hope is that I have done them right and good <laughs> in some way. Mm -hmm. um, because they're people now that I, you know, 
we, for the most part, most of us keep in touch in some way or they'll say, hey, or, you know, they'll come to something I'm doing. I'll go to something they're doing. I'll buy a book because that they've written or, you know, or that they've recommended. It's, it's become this beautiful generative exercise of being part of a community that although we're incredibly different, geographically disparate and pulled in every which direction in our own lives, that there's something that solidifies um, a kind of relationship that I couldn't, couldn't have planned or anticipated in any other way. So anything that was challenging or difficult or following people up going, oh my goodness, you know, I'm not sure I can ask this person one more time, please, can you send your stuff? Um, yeah, there, there, were, there was no drama. Oh, yeah, no drama. <laughs> yeah, that's really beautiful. I, I, I have worked with in collaborative ways with people and, and I'm thinking about doing um, a book, uh, uh, another book in a collaborative way. So I was just curious, like the scale of this was so intense, I can't even imagine, and the time period too. But, but yeah, I think I, I can I can see where it could be a really uh, beautiful experience. Yeah, it really was. It, it just it, no drama, but a masses of patience. I just there would be days I'd be sitting here going, if someone's going to tear their hair out and get cross, it needs to be me in my own little space. And then after that, then we go back to work. <laughs> and so that's how I used to, that's how I used to manage it. So, yeah. Thank you. Great. I tried to unmute someone. Here we go. Oh, that was you. There was another hand up. Deb, are you seeing other hands? Here's one. Yeah, go ahead. Hi, yes. No, I had lowered it again. I thought that. Hi, Renata. Um, I don't have a great uh, intellectual conversation to support from you. So lovely to see you. Um, <laughs> you know, you were, we were talking about how this book is attracting us now these days where we're in isolation and um, it does actually I'm I'm sure that I would have been feeling very uh, warm and positive about it anyway but um, these days uh, the idea that um, we are made aware that we are a community because they're 270 people and that is just so much more important now also see on the screen this is on the second that we see all these people and it's somehow reunited by just being here together on the screen and um i think this is very important and i'm very glad that i'm after that we've been ten pounds for what was it 10 years now what <laughs> and um I was very fond of her, and when we met in person, uh, I, I just thought she was just fabulous. Um, but I just wanted to say, so this is not a relevant uh, comment, but that I was very honoured to invite her as well. But the key feeling is really that of community right now is so important. And I actually have the book on my table. Um, and it's open every day to a different page. Starting with the first one. And um, I don't know how many pages are there. I hope that when I come to the last page, this whole thing is over. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there are 344 pages, so I'm not sure if... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I, I mean, for those of you who... Um, 
don't know Renata Allah's work, you, you should. Um, Renata's in the book and, uh, you know, that it's one of my favourite spreads. And I love... I love the way that this book is actually living in people's lives right now in, in varying ways. And the idea of turning a page and, and that being, you know, the thing that you, you look at and um, think about for the day is just wonderful. I, I met with Doug Dubois, mm. another artist and educator who was in Houston uh, in March when I was there. And he said the one thing he enjoyed about it most, and he's, he's, he has a, a spread with a, a little piece of text next to it is that it, it's like a survey of contemporary photography right now, but a survey that isn't a standard anthological or geographical kind of um, community. It's more a community of people who are making and thinking in varying ways, but they all at some point have thought about the influence or impact or problems or challenges that, that come out of this one text, Cameron Lucida, that has been with us for 40 years now. And that whether we love it or loathe it, that we all have an opinion about it and that it's opinion, no matter how disparate can live in one form. And I just thought that was so beautiful and such a lovely way of, of thinking about an anthology of people coming together as a community uh, in book form. And I, I love the practice of using it as a visual journal, uh, an accompaniment. I, I, I have done that with several books and 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 it's ironic that i haven't done it yet with this one um it's perfect for that yeah i'm german and then that means usually that you have to do it how you work <laughs> i i just want to i just would like to say that um Hi, Jane. How are you? Hi, <laughs> Jane is also in the book. I know, yeah. yeah, and I just have to tell you, it's in keeping with the book because it came, I was home briefly for about two days, it came in the mail, and then my daughter flew out to drive me out east. So it's sitting in my home, and we keep talking about this non-image, and um, <laughs> I feel this frustration that it's, it's absent. The book is absent yeah. right now, but I'm going to have to order another one. Put it out uh, here. <laughs> you'll have many people to give several copies to, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, Jane, I'm trying to find your image. I know it, but I don't know the page. But I haven't seen it. Oh, my <laughs> God. You haven't seen it. Yeah. No, I mean, the book is... There was so much going on. I got home briefly. It's page I, 100, 191, I think, for memory. Yes, 191. Uh, but I think that's kind of funny that I had, you know, as we yeah. are about it, but I don't, yeah. Here we go, life imitating, art imitating life kind of right. thing. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so there's, 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 thank you. You got there before me. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's, sitting next, it's sitting next to an image by Randy West. And Jane, if I'm not mistaken, did you, did you take that on your residency? I did. So I was thinking about that as, uh, as, as, as another uh, kind of area or question because Odette, you have had residencies as well. And, and actually so have I, and they're, they are monumentally important for people. Um, so either of you riff on residencies. <laughs> How did they, how did they work for you? 
Well, it's interesting because I was taking a walk this morning. It was in Norway and it was shortly after the election. And um, it was a way for me to try to process that. And I'm still processing that period of time because it's just continuing. But I was thinking about it this morning as I was going on a walk <laughs> about how nature has just been so, um, you know, it, it just feeds you in a way that we all need it right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, yeah. I, I was picking up my daughter out of state from quarantine because she had been out of the country. And it is the first day in the 21 days I've been sheltered that I didn't walk. And I woke up and said, okay, that's not happening again. I mean, I walked this morning. It, it's so important. And someone uh, wrote, I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but could be roomy, I'm not sure, but you can cut all the flowers, but you can't stop spring. And I think it's so amazing that we're in spring in our hemisphere. And uh, I, I saw someone on my feed who's in uh, Atlanta and it's so much more vibrant there and, and beautiful. And I know that that's coming, like we're at the forsythia stage, but there's still lots of gray. Um, so I, I can't say enough. I think it's very um, life affirming. And it's interesting, when I got locked out of my studio or had to not go to my studio and I was going to do this book group in person and I knew I wanted to do more online because my community is global, is that I, I, I just, it was the first thing I did was to just put out this book group and, and your book was, was the one I grabbed because um, I have a whole art library uh, at, my, at my studio. And, um, and it was really because this is nourishing. Creativity is nourishing. Stopping and sharing our passion is nourishing. Um, someone said today they had gotten into a, a, a show and they said they almost apologized for sharing good news. And... Mm -hmm. I said, that's nothing to apologize about there. This, we need to nurture. And I think that creativity is fundamental and it, it has so many layers in terms of the reimagining. And that's why, I mean, this book uh, honestly could be a semester class because of how you can unpack photography, you can unpack concept development. And again, you are unpacking the power of imagination like I love the premises on something that we don't know and it could either have been a figment of imagination or there could be an actual object. And so we are in a time period where ironically, we are in a place of opportunity to imagine in a way that has not happened before. Like how can we collectively imagine a better world or where, where some of the curves that were really not okay, and I'm not talking virus ones, we address as we imagine going forward. And it's just, there's just so many layers to, um, to think about uh, its impact at this time and this, this kind of sense of community uh, and, and how collectively um, creativity is all about uh, innovation. And, and we have such opportunities now to, to innovate and reimagine. Um, so it's, it's ironic, no, that we're looking at it in a completely different way, even though you can't go and share it with people in person. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. Did we have another question? I did, Sue. Oh, great. Go. Hi. So Hi. first, I'm delighted Hi. to see this book and to meet Odette. Um, I went to Brown and studied at RISD. So I guess if you're in Providence now, I know where you are to some extent. <laughs> um, I'm fascinated with the whole concept of the layering and um, different people's interpretation of those photographs. And in terms of how you maybe selected um, writers and photographers, you know, what particularly came to mind? What were some of the guiding principles that you had as, as far as who you chose to invite in this project? Um, sure. When I, when I initially started out, I, I started out asking three or four, maybe five um, friends who are photographers if they would be willing to be part of something like this. And my definition of like this at that time was so loose, I wasn't really sure if it was going to be a book or an exhibition or both. Um, I did initially think it would most likely be a, a, a book or a booklet and that it would be fairly small. <laughs> and as soon as I reached out to those four or five, people started recommending other people. And so it wasn't just me going, okay, who do I know? Or who do I don't know? Or, Whose work have I admired? Or who do I know who's done work about Bart or written about Bart? There was that going alongside of this. As soon as I would ask one person, I would get two referrals back process. And anytime someone said, I, I recommend this person, I, I, I went and asked them. I, I, it, wasn't a, it wasn't even a hierarchy of, oh, I don't know them, or it was, okay, great, let's, let's ask them. And that's why I got to 200 people so, so quickly. And it, for practical reasons, that's why I, I, I stopped there. Um, I just, the one thing I kept in my mind is that I just wanted it to be lots of different people, um, different ages, different backgrounds, different geographical spreads, different cultural, uh, different cultures, different, just anything that, that made it much more accessible outside of it being just one thing. Um, yeah. It, and I could do four, five, six versions of it again now because I've thought of all the other people or, or, or people have said, how could you not have included? I'm like, I didn't, it just, I didn't even think of it. Um, yeah. And so maybe, maybe that becomes a thing, although I'm not sure. It's, after three years of working on this, I probably need a little break. Right. Now, the translucent pages that you speak of, where did that, uh, come into the process? Was that towards the end when you were thinking about the sequencing or was that always sort of in your mind that you wanted to have that blending of the layers? Um, so the designer and I went through right behind me, you'll see part of what is my photo book. Oh, if I do this photo book <laughs> and, and, and library collection. And so we, I took not only from the RISD library, which has a, a splendid collection of, of artist books, um, and their special collections upstairs. But I also took from, from my books here and we just started going through a whole bunch of different ones, looking at what we liked, um, what we thought might work for a book that probably was going I'm to be. I'm in when I come home at night and my son's asking what I did today. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, that was probably gonna be at that point, maybe 150, 200 pages long. And 
I forget, there were a few books that I'd seen that had beautiful gatefolds or had different textures of paper woven into them. And they're mostly photo books that I've picked up from art fairs um, uh, or from years ago when I lived in the UK and I would, I would train it to uh, the Arles Photo Festival. And you would find these beautiful little handmade books and it was the idea of thinking about texture color could color play a part you know at one point we were thinking oh maybe we'll have you know several different kinds of paper and then for various logistical or cost-based reasons that wasn't wasn't practical or doable um so it was probably i'm going to say halfway through that process it early on a lot of the decision we'd make one decision and that would have a knock-on effect to another decision within the book either the size or the color of the cover or the color of the paper and then you'd get the actual sample of the paper and you'd, we'd lay it over the top and it would be too thin it would it would crinkle or it wouldn't print well or it was too thick and then you couldn't see through it um, so some of it was guided by aesthetics and preferences and some of it was guided by logistics of what was actually possible in a book of this weight, of this size, with this many pictures. Um, but we kept going back to Camera Lucida as being a, a guideline because mm. if I turn around to my copy. Yeah, mine's um, at my studio. <laughs> Camera Lucida. This is my fourth or fifth copy because this one's a bit clean. Mm -hmm. it, has, it has little sections in it and it also has little numbers, um, at least in this particular version. Right. And so little design decisions like that, each of the essays have a similar kind of um, numbering system. So we were always referring back to Cameron Lucida. If you're going to honour a book, then mm. also do the thing justice by making the design somewhat reflect you know, the size, the spacing, you know, the, the, the word spacing in my particular version is quite, it's pretty generous. Like mm -hmm. it, it's not quite one and a half. So there were, there were things like that that also led some of those decisions. Yeah. Um, so you've got the numbering on your essays of the yeah. three important up there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, self-publish or was it working with a publisher? Um, say that again. Did you self-publish or was it working with a particular publisher? I, this was published by Schult Publishing in Amsterdam. I met Martin Schult when I was living in London in 2006. We met at a photo festival uh, in Birmingham and we kept in touch intermittently ever since. I would see him from time to time. Um, I hadn't seen him for a long time. I'd always, he, he's a lovely fellow. Um, I'd always uh, enjoyed when we caught up and I there's some of his books I particularly like. When I pitched it out as a book, there were five publishers who were interested in it, um, uh, Martin included. And uh, it was at that point, a fairly straightforward decision um, to go with Martin. Mm -hmm. And how much input, if any, did he have in the structure of the book or was that all yours? Um... He, Martin is very, very easy to work with. He was, he was very kind, very generous, very trusting of, of myself and, and Cara and um, the sequencing team who worked on it. He was involved like in the decision for the papers, um, the size of the book. Um, we would put forward our ideas and we would discuss it. Um, but it was, he was very, very generous with saying, okay, if you believe that this is, you know, right, or he would say, hey, I don't understand this. Could you talk me through why you're thinking along this? So it was very much um, collaborative. We had preferences. We would discuss those preferences. 
it was actually, I don't, I don't think Martin and I even had a fight. It was actually pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so impressed the dramalessness of it. I'm, I'm happy to know that. I know how many decisions and how challenging some of the creative choices were, but it feels like um, one of the very missing pieces in this is ego. And that's so lovely. Um, and I, I think I just I just hate drama, Sib. I just I I, I, I that's it. just that's yeah. just not for me. As if it's too much drama, I no, yeah. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> we all went through high school. We can leave it there. It's really not worth it. Yeah. I I am in the position of having to to wrap us, but um, I I honestly do think you could do a semester class. I would love to teach a semester class on on this compilation. And I just think your generosity has been outstanding in terms of what a responsible curator you were for each person's really when you think about punctum you are dealing with someone's heart um, when i'm teaching my class i am talking about how vulnerable we are to share our creative process because it it is a vulnerability um, so thank you for this um, i I, I will continue. It's what I set up uh, of doing a book a week. Um, and I have the next four weeks planned out. I just have two books here because some are at my studio. But just to show you, Fran Foreman's book also came in the mail right as I was leaving the studio. Um, and I, I'm someone who likes a lot of different types of genres. And uh, this is Lauren uh, Walsh's book on conflict photography. Um, there are others. Uh, John Lair is one of the people that's in your book, but that also uh, um, he and I have been talking. And um, one of the things that I really love about what I think you put your finger on is the um, global conversation. And I can't help but go back to Jung in terms of Carl Jung and his writings about one of his books, which I would highly recommend, Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, uh, speaks to this idea that we as a people move forward and we evolve. And I feel like this compilation is showing that evolution of, of uh, all the stories that we have from all the different places we're from, from all the different histories those places have. And, um, and I mean, it's a real lesson. Ego isn't necessary there. There's just something so much more lasting and more important. And you really struck that chord. Um, so I really appreciate uh, the work that you did. And I'm excited to see what comes out of Amherst and your residency. Uh, and, um, and knowing you would need a rest, I would imagine that you dreamt images and layouts and all kinds of things. Um, and then the only other piece is, um, because I'm involved in teaching about creativity and concept development, I, I'm also featuring a little taste of what that is on Fridays. So my way to come and, and kind of move our collective community forward and feed creativity is through writing in my blog, which lately I've been really focusing, I've had three blogs on creative ways to deal in COVID times. Um, and offering this book group and offering Concept Aware. So anyone who's gotten here in different ways is welcome to come to any of those. And um, 
Is there anything, Odette, you want us to think about or know about? Uh, just to say, firstly, thank you for the invitation to participate. Thank you to everyone who is here. I can see so many people who are in the book and people that I know and, and, and the, Renata and Lydia. Hi, Lydia. And <laughs> Liz, who's in London. Hi, I think. Pretty sure hi. Um, and a whole bunch of other people who are on a separate page who I can't yes. see. Annette, actually, I can see. Hi, Annette. <laughs> um, and is, it, is, he is Heather's here too. Hi, Heather. Um, a whole bunch of people that I, I know or have not yet met but can see and, and love dearly. So, hello. Thank you. Um, if anyone, I still have um, some copies here. If anyone is after a signed copy, I will happily, USPS is doing pickups at my house once a week, very, very kindly. So I'm more than happy to, to send you a signed copy and I'll include a signed uh, snapshot from my collection at the same time. Um, so you can order them off my website and you can order, also order them direct from the publisher, Shield um, in Amsterdam. Um, and if you, if anyone has follow-up questions, who didn't get to ask a question or didn't want to ask a question in a Zoom format, um, please just email me. Um, my address is on my website, photographer at odetteengland.com. Um, it might take me a day or two to get back to you because I'm, I'm homeschooling and teaching at the same time. Mm. Um, but I will definitely get back to you if you have a question. Um, absolutely. I, I would love that. Mm. So good. Well, I'm going to end, but thank you. Thank you so much and um just signing up for volume two. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness no pressure. <laughs> where do we get the link to friday's uh meeting on my website under events okay thank you uh-huh and, and i've also i've also posted it here in the chat oh great thank you deb and it's also um on my website if you go to uh a blog, you'll see Punctum Junkie. Um, and uh, the, as I said, two of them, the last two are on different activities to do uh, and what some photographers are doing creatively. Uh, Caleb Cole, I featured, who is literally taking iconic images like Weston's cabbage and redoing it with his sheets on his bed or the Bescher's towers and doing it with things from his bathroom. Um, there are now more than one uh, idea of people going around doing portraits on people's front porches so that there's a safe distance portrait project going on in several cities. Uh, it's called um, Staying Close and Afar. I'm sorry, I'm, uh, it, that's in my website. I don't think I have the hashtag correct. Uh, that's by Winky Lewis. And then um, there is a larger global collaborative uh, it's wanting to basically have a connection and a digital global gallery. And the hashtag for that is called Be Well Neighbor, all linked. And that's the idea that there is power in creativity, which I wholeheartedly attest to, and that our, our, our creativity connects us. Um, and that is something that if anyone is on Instagram, I'd encourage you to look up all of those things. So, so you can see my web, my blog posts on my website under blog. Um, and one other came out, I did something, I, I said I channeled my paternal grandmother because she loved bingo. And it was literally the last thing that she did. She, she lived to 94 and she went to bingo the night before she passed. And it, anyway, I did creative bingo. So there's a B-I-N-G-O. And 
that creative bingo is on Digital Silver Imaging's website, um, which is a photo lab started and run by my husband here in the Boston area. So there's a lot of ways that we can support each other through this process. And um, I'm just so glad that some of you decided to spend time together here. And Odette, I cannot thank you enough. It was so just. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. It was so nice to see everyone. Yeah, yeah. So be well and uh, create. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.